When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. This Mother's Day, treat mom to healthy, glowing skin with Osea's limited edition skincare sets. Osea has been making clean, seaweed-infused products for nearly 30 years. Their advanced eye care duo brightens and firms skin around your eyes, while the Golden Glow Body Trio nourishes and smooths skin all over. Go to oseamalibu.com and use code MOM for 10% off your first order site-wide. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. This is Cork Today. Cork Today with Patricia Messenger on C103. And a very good Tuesday morning to you as we welcome you along to the programme. Bernie sitting in all this week for John Paul, who's on his holidays. If you want to talk to Bernie, 0818 103 103. Text and WhatsApps, of course, up and running now at 086 103. Anything you want to share with us, we'd love to uh, hear from you. Bit of a wet old start uh, to the morning this morning, considering we were just getting used to the wonderful warm weather. It's a bit of a damp squid. When I said, drew back the curtains and looked out the window this morning but let's be positive and let's try and put a positive spin on it I suppose the gardens could do with a bit of a watering even though that forecast there uh, saying that the sun will be back with us this afternoon and the rest of the week isn't too bad uh, either it should be mainly dry there will be a bit of cloud there will be some spells of rain but it should be, should be some good sunshine but we're heading up to I have to say a scorcher of a weekend we might get um, Alan uh, Riley on from Carlo Weather to talk to us uh, about it later on in the week because certainly what's coming in over Ireland this weekend early into next week and it's what's happening across Europe and you know there's talks of Europe are going to be sweltering over the weekend and into next week. I mean, temperatures, they're they're saying they could actually go to 50 degrees in some parts of Europe and we certainly don't want that. For example, our neighbours in Britain, the British authorities, they've already issued an amber alert for extreme heat with the Met Office there warning that lives are at risk. Parts of England could reach 40 degrees for the first uh, time in recorded history. Portugal, which is obviously a very popular spot for Irish uh, tourists, they've declared an eight-day state of alert. They're afraid because of the high temperatures in Portugal over the next week. They're afraid of wildfire dangers. I actually was reading a piece earlier. They've closed off woodlands and forestry areas in order to try to make sure that nobody, you know, because those wildfires, a lot of them start because somebody decides to have a, a picnic or a barbecue or somebody drops a cigarette. So they've just decided... To 
to try to protect those areas and to stop those wildfires. They've literally just closed them off to the general public and hopefully that will keep those areas uh, safe. But we have these relentless heat waves there, which are covering Spain and France. The ones that happened last month, they are set to return. Seville in the south of Spain uh, predicted to reach highs of 47 degrees. France, Germany and Italy all bracing for temperatures well in excess of 40 degrees. And the EU's Climate Change Service said earlier this year that the continent experienced the warmest summer on record last year in 2021. They were one degree Celsius above the 1991-2020 average and they are reckoning that this year an extra one degree will be added again, which means that somewhere across Europe they are expecting a temperature this this summer of 50 degrees. It's inevitable, they say, because it already last year reached, uh, there was one spot in Europe last year that got to 49 degrees, so they reckon it could hit uh, 50 this year. So we are in for a spell of very, very warm weather. As I say, it's looking like Sunday, Monday of next Next week looks like it's going to be particularly warm uh, as well. So kind of a wet start today, but it will brighten up. And the temperatures as well should be in around the kind of our low 20s, 23, 24 uh, degrees at best uh, this afternoon. And of course, a dry day really is what a lot of people want if they're going to the Carami Horse Fair in Buttevant. It is returning today. Obviously wasn't on for the last two years because of the pandemic and because Carimi Horse Fair is going ahead. Obviously diversions are in place. They've been put in place since 7am this morning and I think anybody uh, who knows about Carimi and, and knows what happens at Carimi, you don't go anywhere near Buttevant unless you want to go along to the Carimi uh, Horse Fair. And of course the Horse Fair is one of those unusual events. There's no official organiser it just kind of happens every single year on the 12th of July and it attracts tourists and horse traders from all over Ireland and from all over England. And if you go on to the Buttevant Heritage website, if you want the history of the fair, it's believed that its roots are in Ireland's prehistoric past when Me was the High King of Munster and his royal seat was just east of Buttevant. So the fair originally took place in the townland of Carami, hence that it's called the Carami Horse Fair. And the Carami Horse uh, Fair is about three miles east of Buttevant. And that's the spot that's considered to be the centre of Munster. In the early 1920s, the fair then moved from the townland of Carami into the town of Buttevant as buyers and sellers at the time felt threatened by the political turmoil that was going on over 100 years ago about the War of Independence and the Civil War raging. And according, of course, to the local legend, one of the most famous horses that was ever bought and sold in Buttevant was Napoleon's horse Marengo. And that was used in the retreat from Moscow during the winter of 1812. So if you're heading to Karami today, we hope that you enjoy yourself. For everybody else, diversions are in place. 0818 Three cost of living and people worried about the cost of living. It's one of those discussions everybody seems to be having. Everywhere you seem to go, people are talking about this has gone up, that has gone up. We're constantly keeping an eye on the cost of fuel. And I remind you of that because we touched on it yesterday. We had somebody who had spotted fuel at under 
the two euro a litre mark for the first time in many, many weeks. Somebody was onto us to saying it was Rathcormick, wasn't it? It was 199.9. So if you're out and about today or you're buying petrol or diesel, let us know, particularly if you see it under the two euro a mark. We're trying to see, uh, is there any indications that it's starting to fall, particularly when we noticed last week that the price of the barrel of oil on the world market has certainly fallen and is much lower than it was for the last number of weeks and months. So we should be starting to see the knock-on. I know it, normally I think it takes, I think it's about three weeks, isn't it? It takes from when it, the, the barrel falls on the world market to when we can start to see some falls at the uh, petrol pumps. But the cost of living certainly affecting everyone and new research is out showing that large numbers of people are worried that they won't be able to afford to keep buying groceries if the prices continue to increase at the current rate at which they're going up. Most people in the country consider the cost of food shopping is now at an unacceptably high level. Half of adults think grocery prices are rising at rates higher than the official figures that we hear. 96% of adults in this iReach Insights research say they have seen a rise in the cost of groceries just in the past month. Now, the average amount spent by adults on groceries in Ireland is somewhere around the €125 a week mark. But a third of adults say don't spend anything like that. A third of adults say they spend anything between €51 and €100 each week. Half of adults think the cost of their weekly grocery spend has increased anywhere between 11% and 20%, but that's far higher than the official figures. Now, the latest inflation figures, and we get these from the Central Statistics Office, they show that food inflation in May, we don't have the June figures yet, but they show that the food inflation in May was at 4.5%, but people reckon that when they're out shopping, they're paying much more than 4.5% extra on their groceries. Now, there are individual items that obviously went up by more. The one I think that most people spotted was the price of milk. That's now 10% dearer than what we would have paying this time last year for a litre or a two litre drum of milk. Butter has also gone up. That's now gone up by over 11%. This survey found the majority of adults think the cost of groceries in Ireland is unacceptably high. 60% simply saying, look, we're worried if the prices keep going, because there's no sign of them stopping. Every week you go and do your grocery shop, seems to be gone up another little bit and another little bit. So 60% of people are saying it'll get to the day that they won't be able to afford all the groceries that they want to buy. Researchers found 48% of adults have been put under financial pressure due to the increase in the cost of food. A third of adults have reported uh, increases in the cost of meat and sea fish. They're saying anywhere between 21% and 40%. Uh, percent. And the also reported experiencing the largest rises is in the cost of dairy products. Your things like your milk, your cheese, your butter, Anything like that certainly has seen a big, big jump. The survey findings come weeks after the European-wide survey found that prices in this country were now actually, by the way, the joint highest in the 27 member members of the EU were 40% higher than the average across the rest of uh, Europe. And the gap between what is charged here 
and what is charged on the continent is certainly widening. Irish people pay far more than the European Union average for food, drink, energy, transport, communications and going out to restaurants for a meal. That's the latest report out from Eurostat who now say prices in Ireland were now joint highest in the EU with Denmark a few weeks ago. Denmark was the highest and we were just there in second place. We're now joint highest and it's one of those surveys you don't want to be top of the pile it's one of the few surveys you want to be bottom of the pile so according to the Eurostat prices we pay the highest prices for alcohol and tobacco we're the third most expensive for food and non-alcoholic beverages and we have we're we're about 19% above the EU average for everything else and even if you just compare us to the UK shoppers here we can pay up to 70% more than they would pay in the UK for what's what's called Irish specific goods and i have to say i was i had at the weekend when I was meeting up with some family members I, we had a, a cousin uh, some cousins who were home from the UK and one they travelled because when you come in for the weekend they travelled just with hand luggage and one of the uh, younger cousins said I nipped into the chemist because she needed to buy toiletries that she said oh I won't bring them because you know you still have to do the plastic bag and the the 100 li- millilitres of liquid and all that. She said, oh, sure, I'll just pop into a chemist and buy it. She said she was shocked when she walked into a chemist to buy the items that she wanted to buy. She, she literally said, ye guys are being ripped off in Ireland. She couldn't believe the prices we have been charged. And it's almost like because we were out doing our shopping every single week, we're almost getting used to it. It's only when you're actually asked like that when the... The, that survey when shoppers were actually asked to think about the prices that they had paid people started saying yeah we really are paying a lot for all of the everyday items that we need to put in many of those items okay you can say we spend we are the highest in prices for alcohol and tobacco we can do with both do without both alcohol and, and tobacco but the things like the bread the butter the milk the cheese the eggs the veg, we, the meat, the chicken, the fish, we can't do without that. We have to pay those high prices. And actually later on the programme, we will have a Vox uh, pop. We sent um, Raid two week, our news reporter out. There was a protest yesterday in Cork City and it was deliberately timed before the government take their summer, they're going on their summer break uh, this uh, week and panic about back to school cost and a fear of the impending winter as the people are facing soaring fuel prices were the main concerns that were voiced by people at that protest in Cork City yesterday and we'll get to hear some of the voices and some of the people that attended that protest uh, yesterday later on on the programme 0818 103 103 Bernie taking your calls you can text her WhatsApp to 0862 103 103 Have some of your thoughts in particularly around the cost of living are the people are the are the people, are the government, have they lost touch with the rest of us? How can a government go on, on a summer recess when the country is on its knees and with prices in Ireland almost feels like they're out of control? Is Ireland a test case for all of the other European countries when we are the highest among all of the EU members? It's not a bit fair. Even the German retailers now are as, as expensive as the other stores, says this uh, listener. And John thinks the Sinn Féin motion of no confidence in the government is a pure PR stunt. It would be better if they had put down a motion to the doll to sit through the summer uh, during the worst economic crisis in years rather than a vote of no confidence. Thanks John and Con in Bandon says Patricia the price of milk has gone 
from €2 to two ninety nine in the last few months by, by Con's calculation. And he's good at the old maths. That's a 50% increase. And yet the official figures from the CSO office will tell us that milk is 10% dearer than it was this time last year. But according to John and his calculations, it's actually... 50% more expensive. Thank you for that, John. And just a quick WhatsApp to give a mention to this for fear that a lot of texts would come in and I'd miss it. This is from Noreen. Thanks for this. Noreen has asked me to give a mention to an event. It's in aid of the Cork Arc Cancer Support House. They've won in Bantry and they've won in Cork City. And this event is taking place in Glen Illen Farm in Dreamer League next Saturday. It's a silent art and photography auction. It includes cheese and wine and entertainment on the night. It, the opening will be performed by Pat Collins, the film director. There'll be 175 lots in total. Doors will open at six. The auction then will be on from seven o'clock until nine o'clock. And they're operating a free shuttle bus from the railway yard in Drimmer League and that'll start at quarter to six. So good luck to everybody involved there and certainly in a good cause, the Cork Arc Cancer Support House in Bantry and in Cork. Cork today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 0818 The Simon Community's quarterly locked out of the market report has found a stark decline in available properties for people on the state payment HAP with only one property available for HAP rental in Cork City. Or sorry, not, not one property available. Joining me from the Cork Simon Community is uh, Paul Sheehan. Good morning to you, Paul. Hi, Patricia. Uh, you're welcome. Welcome to the programme. Now, according to your report, just 37 available houses for rent under HAP nationwide. Is the current HAP scheme simply not working? Like, what is the problem here? Well, certainly if you're stuck in an emergency shelter and you're depending on the private rented sector to get out of homelessness, it certainly isn't working. This report kind of gives a a sense of what somebody in an emergency shelter might experience when they're looking for somewhere to rent that they can afford, and there's simply nothing there. They're they're literally locked out of that market. Um, In Cork City, for example, there was nothing available within HAP limits for any household category, and just one property to rent in County Cork, and that was with the 20% discretionary top-up applied. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. And I know anecdotally we would hear from some people here when they're trying to rent, hearing that some landlords almost don't want to engage with somebody who's on a HAP scheme. Are you hearing that? Well, you know, I mean, there's huge competition out there for any rental property that comes to the market, Patricia. And if you have two people in front of you, one with cash in hand, ready to move in in the morning, and the other, you know, depending on HAP to afford a, or to put a roof over their head I mean the easy option is to, is to take the person who can move in in the morning with no hassle yeah yeah That's and completely understandable and of course landlords won't admit that but certainly there is that feeling as soon as HAP is mentioned they don't seem to be um, entertained and I mean local authorities do have flexibility as you mentioned to extend the rent limit is that done a lot it is and it's case by case and up to recently it was up to a 20% increase now, since the 7th of July, that has uh, increased to 35%. Uh, but even when we apply that 35%, just one additional property becomes available. That's in, just, in that's just, just, there's just not enough property. So are, are there, therefore, are people becoming homeless who would never have been homeless before? 
Uh, there's no question of that, Patricia, yeah. I mean, um, you know, in this report, there's a, a case of a, a woman and her family in Limerick. Um, you know, they, they couldn't afford the rent. Um, they um, applied for HAP. Uh, they were granted HAP. Um, she couldn't find anywhere that uh, she could afford. And she ended up presenting as homeless. She and her young family were moved from hotel room to hotel room on a week-to-week basis uh, until finally she got a place in a, in a family hub, which is still emergency accommodation. It's, it's not long-term secure accommodation by any means. God, that's no way to live, is it? No, no, it's not in this day and age. And people then that are living in rental accommodation, do they live in dread of the phone call or the letter from the landlords to say, I want the property back? I have no doubt. Um, Patricia, and while you know uh, existing tenants do have certain rights, um, they will eventually have to leave if they're asked to do so. A reasonable request and reason to leave, and you know they're in a very very competitive marketplace. I mean, uh, finding a place to rent and a place to move to, I can imagine, leads to many a sleepless night. I saw our Taoiseach Micheál Martin at the weekend saying that we have to strike a balance between the number of holiday lets and the number of homes for rent. Does that need to be addressed? It does. A lot of things need to be addressed, Patricia. Like, it, you know, in many cases, our housing system, we've been tinkering around the edges a little bit here, a little bit there. I mean, it really needs a, a coordinated, concerted effort across the entire housing system. I mean, yeah, you've got holiday homes and short-term lets. You've got vacant properties. You've got properties that have been lying idle for years and end, and nobody knows who owns the title or, or what the status of them are. You know, you've got properties in poor repair. I mean, we need to be looking across the whole housing system to address this. I mean, there's no question. Uh, the housing is there for a large part. I mean, the, the census suggests, you know, there are thousands of vacant homes. It was 166,000 vacant homes. Now, some of them are vacant because they're about to go for sale or, yes. you know, maybe somebody's gone into respite or into a nursing home. Or, or you can explain some of them away. But the bulk of them you can't explain away. No. And, you know, that's one aspect. The short-term lets is another. We need to be building more houses than we are. It's as simple as that. Um, but we need to be looking across the entire housing system and not just tinking, tinkering around the edges of, of one aspect of it. So there's no easy, quick fix, fix solution. I mean, from listening to you, Paul, this situation is going to get worse before it gets better. That's our concern, Patricia. I mean, like, you look at the number of people who are stuck in emergency accommodation. Um, the figures from the Department of Housing for May, for the last week of May, 459 adults in Cork alone. And if you look at Cork and Kerry, there were 656 men, women and children. Now, every one of those is pretty much depending on the private rented sector to get themselves out of homelessness. And they're pretty much locked out of that market as it stands at the moment. And is there a fear we'd even run out of emergency accommodation? Well, you know, particularly in the southwest, um, there are more people in what, what is called private emergency accommodation than there are in emergency shelters like ours. Private emergency accommodation is essentially hotel rooms and B&Bs. Um, you know, usually in the summertime, uh, we don't see as much pressure on the housing system, but we are now. And, you know, uh, we're, we're very concerned as to what's going to happen from September onwards. There is huge pressure on the housing system. The number of people stuck in emergency shelters isn't going down anytime soon from what we can see. 
I mean, we see people presenting to our super run every night, Patricia, who are in private rented accommodation. Every cent is going to keeping that roof over your head, as you can imagine. And there's nothing left for the basics, like, you know, food. Yeah, and I know Katrina Toomey, a penny, penny dinners, backs up that story. The yeah. Society of Vincent de Paul back up that uh, story. And I mean, I started the programme by talking about, you know, the number of people who were worried about not being able to afford to pay for groceries uh, because the prices are rising all the time. But to have that ongoing worry of trying to keep the roof over your head. Yeah, pay for groceries, pay for fuel. Um, not such a huge issue now, but certainly coming into the winter, it'll become worse. Um, you've got kids going back to school. You know, you've got huge pressure coming down the tracks on, on household budgets. Yeah, it's tough out there for sure. OK, listen, and you're busy as ever, obviously. It's Simon, Paul. Yeah, I mean, it is. It's really busy, Patricia. Um, obviously, you know, it, it's hard to gauge what's happening as we come out of COVID and lockdown and, and, and all that went on over the last two years. But there's certainly huge pressure across the system everywhere. OK. All right. Listen, Paul, uh, thank you for that. And thanks for joining us on the programme this morning. Sure. Good morning to you. That is uh, Paul Sheehan, who is with the Simon community in uh, Cork. And actually just um, houses. I mean, l- lots and lots of times we will have listeners suggest here to the programme that the Catholic Church could do something with the empty priests houses that are dotted all over the country. We know we have a fall in vocation. We know we don't have as many priests than we once had and that every single parish right across every single diocese in this country have vacant houses belonging to what was once probably, you know, the the centre of the parish and there would be a number of priests probably living in the priest's houses but they're they're now uh, empty. Well, I read in the paper today that the Catholic Church in Dublin is going to cash in on the property price boom by selling off unused buildings and land in the Dublin diocese. Parochial houses in parishes where there are no longer priests are top of the list for sale. The Archbishop of Dublin, Dermot Farrell, is now hiring a full-time property expert to work on the portfolio. Now, the move could potentially, obviously, net tens of millions of Europe euro for the Archdiocese because we know the price of property in Dublin is sky high and the sell-off comes as the church hierarchy in the capital. They're doing what we're doing in our in our own diocese down here. They're merging parishes and they're doing that uh, because of the shortage of uh, priests and they, and obviously the Diocese of Dublin covers the city and county of Dublin. It also has parts of Wicklow, Kildare, Carlow, Leash and Wexford so it's a huge huge uh, diocese and that they reckon that there are a lot of properties uh, available, uh, including parochial houses, parish halls, associated lands, um, and obviously the priests' uh, houses. So that's what they've decided to do. But they have so many properties, so that's the the best way, and I suppose the best way for the diocese to make as much money as they can out of it. They're hiring a full-time property expert to work on the portfolio. And uh, one will wonder, will we see more and more dioceses around the country following Dublin and selling off vacant properties. 0818-103-103. Bernie's taking your calls. You can text her WhatsApp to 0862-103-103. 
Record today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 0862103103. With petrol and diesel prices still at record highs at the pumps, the haulage industry has seen its costs rise by more than 30% since the beginning of this year. To discuss how the Irish Road Haulage Association got on in a recent meeting with the Minister for Transport, Eamon Ryan, I'm joined by Eugene Drennan, who is President of the IRHA. Good morning to you, Eugene. Good morning, Mr. And you're welcome to the programme. Now, because your members' costs are rising so much, they have to pass that on to their their customers, uh, which in turn, that's leading to the cost of living crisis, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. Irrespective of um, how the cost comes to us, whether we can pass on the customer or not, it's inbuilt there. And any goods that comes to anybody in Ireland is handled or carried by some commercial vehicles at least three times. So the multiplier of heavy taxation and of cost is highly inflationary and is a very high cost to the consumer in this in the round of the circle, shall we say. And then to hear that there will be no further supports for the haulage industry until at least the budget. Is is that threatening the survival of some of your members? Oh, absolutely. Uh, the, just to give you a little reflection or a reminder of where the haulage industry has come from in Ireland. A lot of it, though, we are companies nowadays and we might be a little bit bigger. People see big uh, numbers of trucks on the road. For the majority of trucks, 43 or 4 or 5 percent of them are owner-operators single operators and for about the next 30% there are two or three vehicles and the top 20 to 30% are big fleets and in that you have family business they may be a company name out front and they have grown in business by work they have a great commitment to the work and to their area and to uh, trying to keep going so with that commitment they absolutely do their best to keep going as best they can but that is coming to a very finite end very soon because the costs are just so, so big, Patricia. And it's not, I mean, obviously fuel will be your biggest one, is it? The biggest? Fuel is the biggest and then you have tyres, component parts, wages and the cost of renewable vehicles to get up to modern vehicles. This is what around what the discussion with the ministers were. I'll give you an idea of the figures that you take, uh, it would really bring relevance to what we're talking about. The Irish fleet does two billion, now not million, billion kilometres a year. The average truck does about 100 to 120,000 kilometres and will burn about 30 to 35,000 litres. If we burn in a week or less than a week, perhaps in two or three days, more than the average household burns in a year for oh. home eating. The figures wow. are, are astronomical. They're very big. And the one thing that we have, we're trying to bring home is that we're still an island. We have no choice but to use diesel. And therein lies the conundrum of, of the that we're trying to overcome and get acceptable to the minister because there's such a push on in Europe and such a push really globally and also for the Greens against carbon. That is fair and the world must be saved. Howsoever, our proposals are to reach the best we can as for where we are as an island and in this fuel source that we have no other choice but to use. And these are the set of proposals we've put in Ryan, the Minister. Now, in the outset, I would like to acknowledge the Minister has engaged with us two or three times and back into last year, two or three times again, and the Department and the Junior Minister, Hildegard Nocton. It has been um, 
pot and heavy between us, but it has been, uh, you know, uh, strong negotiations. Yeah, but they are, they are at least engaging. So you went with them with these proposals when it comes to decarbonising the sector. Now, I've, I've just read through some of these suggestions and they, they really yeah. do, it, it, to, to the untrained eye for me anyway, they certainly make sense. Just talk us through some of the suggestions you made. May I remind you, Patricia, sense and politics of novels uh, get the result, but I agree with you. Uh, the suggestions we made is that effectively we'd have a washout period. And it's in the light of, it's very much in the light of, it's within this Minister for Transport's remit. He has both the environment and transport. It's all under his hand. And uh, in the acknowledgement, this is the way forward throughout Europe. We took it on board for our sector that we have to try and do the best we can in the Green Initiative. And also in line that the sand is forever moving within Europe as regards uh, the directives on energy, on what source to use, on further taxation against carbon. That's all fine. In mainland Europe where there may be alternatives. But to put that heavy excise and heavy carbon and all taxation, it doesn't matter what you call it, it's taxation. And to put that on us, an essential service to the people of this island and to get the supply chain moving, is imbalanced and it's, it's wrong, I would say. You know, we pay a euro a litre more at the pumps than does Malta, a smaller island. Does. And we are paying approximately um, a euro a litre more than the world basic price. That and that's because of taxation. Yeah, and it's taxation, it's excise, carbon, carbon taxes, tax, yeah. It's NORA. Yeah. Like NORA is the National Idle Reserve Agency. It's 300 million rich. And why should we as the essential part be paying two cents for storing idle that may be used in Ireland in an emergency? Year on year on year constantly. You know, it's bad mm. enough for us to come through the pump. But then to tax us with it as well, it's another multiplier of taxation onto the consumer. It's imbalanced. And to that end, we put our proposals where we are willing to take on the sector. Now, bearing in mind uh, that Germany, Italy, Portugal, Romania and some other countries that have come on board since have opted out in mainland Europe that they can meet their sectorial target. Whereas we took the reverse order and said, support us, get us into modern technology, better engines, better burn of the carbon. We deliver at 25% within 2032. But you must come with us lighten the burden, see can we uh, change our vehicles or try and incentivize the industry. Now, central government will always say to us, the customer has to come to the table as well. And we acknowledge that some of the biggest industries of Ireland have not come to the table to give the hardware increase. And some of them are in your town and are big dairy people and are big quarries. And they're very wealthy and they haven't really had their all years. <clears throat> so there is two sides to the kind. But on the government side, where this negotiation lies, is where we're trying to get for a proper, essential user rebate. Now, it's not very much over what we're receiving at the moment because excise was cut due to the war. And we're saying, enshrine that in our essential user rebate, and we're nearly there. Then we need some other reliefs on, say, the two cents for Nora, and we need relief on a pollutant-saving additive that we all have to use. In the the, the ad blue, the uh, the ad blue, yeah. But but I loved your I loved your um, suggestion on the on the rape seed, yes. which obviously yes. is, is an alternative to yes. non-fossil. This is something that could uh, work in this country. Yes, it would take uh, it would take, you know, strong and bold politicians to move it 
forward. But we're very similar to when we had the beet uh, factories. The sugar factory, well yeah. yeah. And also when the electricity came, we need that uh, generation or that... Um, we need to incentivize the farmers. The state to but go. And they wish to reduce the number of animals farmers can have and they wish to get the farming sector into a carbon sector as well. Yeah. And this is, uh, you know, a re-nitrogen of the soil. It's a... It's, um, a crop that can be sold in, rot- sold in rotation. Uh, the Greens have a policy where the first use of a food product must go to the consumer rather than into a source like uh, an energy source like this. However, they have to get over themselves to small business. They can't have it everywhere. And the, this would be the alternative crop. And rather than retiring farmers or letting the land go to lie waste because the animals have gone off it, or give them buyout schemes, incentivize them to, to start growing rapeseed, yeah. It must yeah. be, it must be for the Irish market. Yeah, yeah and, and, and we I, never I, into trouble in Europe for that. But if we do, we need badly from all politicians and all parties our island status said and said and said again. Because we're an island, we have to use diesel and we need this product to be put in as a HVO, as a carbon saver. And then we can go to 40%. Now, as the professor said in the article, and I compliment Connor and this of the examiner, he really got our story together pretty good. And the professor he quoted said it was ambitious, but, you know, and aspirational. But he said, but sorry, this this is um, David Timoney. He's a professor of engineering yes. at UCC. He said the polls were quite ambitious, but he said they could work. They could. Yeah. Both yeah. and come with us. And that's what we're saying to the minister and to the government. Come well, with just us. Think outside and the we'll box. Reach our I, I, when I saw it in print, I just thought this is a great suggestion and it is thinking outside the box. We are an island nation. We need to see to what we can do to look after our, our own. Just finally, Eugene, the, the price of the barrel of oil on the world market has been falling over the last yes. few weeks. Do you expect yes. to see the prices at the pumps? falling at any time soon? Well, they have fallen some, uh, some bit. But a little bit, not that. enough. It's very hard to put your finger on it, Patricia, but I think more could be done to just check it out. Um, we've only about six or eight really full big imported vial into Ireland. The rest yeah. are on a quarter from them. So it's a small market of purchase. The purchasing market is uh, numbers are small. And often uh, local distributors are caught with product from yesterday's price or two days ago price. Yeah. So, so it's a little slower to get it down. But we should, I think, on reflection, we should have seen decreases a little bit stronger by now. Uh, and sometimes I think where government has to see, and I do know the watch this, is how quickly the ships get to port. Uh, because often the value of the product on the ship can increase while at sea quite substantially. Yeah. So it should be at purchase price and tightened up and well watched. But I do know, we keep a fairly good eye on it. I wouldn't run them down completely, you know. Okay, all right. Must be vigilant all right, listen, time. I enjoyed our chat. Uh, please God, we'll talk again. But in the meantime, thank you for that and thanks for joining us. Thank you very much. Good morning to you. That is uh, Eugene Drennan, who is the president of the Irish Road Haulage Association. Because as I said at the outside, when the the hauliers, when their costs are going up and they've gone up 30 percent just since the start of the year, the knock on effect is everything that gets uh, delivered. And as he says, it passes through through three different. It'll pass through through through, three different um, haulage firms before it actually gets to somebody. Uh, But every single time uh, the haulage companies see their prices go up the knock-on effect uh, is to the customers which ultimately then leads to the rise in the cost of living 0818 103 103 Bernie's taking your calls text WhatsApp 0862 
103 103. Somebody is smiling at the fact that Eugene Drennan, when I said about the prices on the world market for, for oil, has gone down and yet we don't seem to be seeing it at the pumps. And he said the prices have fallen somewhat, but he did admit they haven't fallen by uh, enough. 0818 103 103. Uh, John in rang to say that it's a long time since he heard anyone said. It's a wet old start to the morning. <laughs> he says, I should get a job with Met Aaron. And I don't know whether that's a compliment or a backhand compliment. I'll take it as a compliment. Thank you for that, uh, John. But it, it was a wet old start to the morning. And somebody else by text says, Trish, it's great to see it raining here in West Cork. Mixed weather suits this country better. So let's try and take the positive out of the bit of rain that we got this morning. Now, can anybody help Michael in West Cork? He's contacted us to say he has lost the key for a door in his house. It's the ordinary Basta key. And he wants to know is there and obviously the it's the door is locked. You can't get in. Uh, he said, "Is there anyone in the Clan Skibbereen area that can pick a lock?" He said, "He's been on to locksmiths, and they say that they can't help him." So he's looking for somebody that can pick a lock in the Cork Skibbereen area. And obviously, we have all of Martin's contact details. If there's anybody there that can help, but it's the ordinary Basta key, and he needs a number. And he's tried every other key, and no, no, nothing will open the particular door. Anybody got advice? our help for Michael please contact Bernie because Bernie was talking to Michael and she can pass on the details 0818 103 103 talking about housing in the last hour Liam says there are Garda barracks idle all over the country and post offices closed so there's plenty of property available but where are we going to stop with these the building of houses and the constant call for the building of houses at the end of the day we're a small island and we only have limited land and limited space on which to build those houses. Not everyone can own their own house or everyone has a plot of land. Well, and Paul Sheehan of the Simon community was making the point when the census 166,000 houses were deemed vacant. Now some of them will be vacant for very genuine reasons but there's others that are vacant that shouldn't be vacant particularly when we have a housing crisis at the the moment. I mean it is definitely an ongoing uh, problem. Hi Patricia I'm renting this house for 14 years and I'm under the RAS scheme. The house failed the engineer inspection report and the owner hasn't done the repairs yet. It's a concern for me as this is my only home and has been my home for 14 years. And according to Threshold, I'm not alone. There are a lot of other house owners who've been prosecuted for not doing the repairs. And of course, the fear is that if you push some of the private landlords, they might just get out of the market. And the RAS uh, scheme, that's eventually is going to be completely replaced by the HAP scheme. But for those that are on the RAS scheme, they can't transfer over to HAP. They have to stay on RAS. And under the RAS scheme, I just took a look at it there while the news was on to try to remind myself about it because it's a while now since we've discussed or spoke about anyone who is on the RAS scheme, which which stands for Rental Accommodation Scheme. And under that, the property must meet minimum standards for private rental accommodation and the landlord is responsible for maintenance and repair at the property. The local authorities pay the rent in full to the landlord on behalf of the tenant but they're 
but under that RAS scheme the landlord is responsible for the maintenance so there is a worry there that if the landlord was pushed and didn't want to do the repairs and I take it and that's what's coming through on that test on that text home for somebody for the last 14 years and it isn't as easy that's the problem it isn't a case of well I'll just move and I'll find another property that won't have all the problems that this listener is faced with while living in that accommodation I yeah, I can I can understand why you are obviously nervous and then somebody else says Patricia I feel very sorry for people who are out there looking for places to rent and I know says this texter that there are very very many good tenants but says this texter I have heard the horror stories when tenants ruin houses regardless of their status. I know of houses that were left in such a terrible state. So there is a lot to do with genuine. So that's got a lot to do with why some private landlords are leaving the rental market. There are genuine people who are then having problems trying to rent a place. We rented a house a number of years ago when we were renovating our own house and I can say hand on heart we left it cleaned from top to bottom. You see but you're a good tenant and you respected the house you're in and you, you are right and I do think the majority of tenants are respectful of the property that they are living in but you'd always get the small few. I mean remember that gentleman a few weeks ago who who told us about the the apartment where the woman was just destroyed and she actually left a dead dog. She left a dog from what we can gather. She left a dog starved to death. She moved out and left a dog starved to death or she went away for three weeks. Dog starved to death and when she came back the dog was dead and she just popped the dog in a plastic bag and left it in a wardrobe and then the landlord didn't get access for three months and the house had been destroyed because this dog had been left to run riot and was starving inside in the house and of course he ripped up and chewed up furniture and whatever in the place and another room floor to to ceiling with rubbish she wasn't paying for her rubbish to be collected so yes they are the tenants uh, from hell and it does ruin it then for the genuine people who are going to be very very good tenants but when people leave the private rental sector because if they get a number of bad tenants they just kind of say it's not worth it and with house prices making so much at the moment you can see why people are deciding just to get out of the business uh, completely and John says Patricia is it not the same old story we seem to have plenty of houses and rental properties for refugees and immigrants but we don't seem to have any houses for our own Irish people it's an absolute disgrace in this day and age we are a very quiet uh, nation the country needs to come to a halt and people need to get off their backsides we need to get out and march against this uh, government that's from John Martin in Fomoy thinks everybody needs to go on strike no matter what you work at it's the only way we need to have an all out uh, strike until prices of everything come come back down this country is heading for a serious downfall and that we will never ever recover from and please don't blame the war in Ukraine and don't blame Covid the country and the whole world has been banjaxed for a long time something needs to be done that's from Martin in Formoy Patricia I am really sick of the government and the public in general regarding the cost of living it really is now seems to be the case that people who shout the loudest get the most there are food banks now helping people the government don't seem to be looking after the working people or the people who are trying to pay their mortgage and as regarding schools and the cost of going back to school 
why don't we have online blended schooling introduced? It would actually be a better solution because it would cut down on all the back to school allowances. Some people loved the idea of homeschooling and children being on their computers, but not every parent would agree with you. They felt it wasn't either good for the child, for the child's education. Could we do it in a blended? But even if you do it in blended, you're still going to have all of the back to school uh, costs. But um, yeah, some people absolutely loved homeschooling and loved the idea of their kids learning at home. But as I say, it didn't work for everyone. Patricia, the majority of people in this country want rid of this government, but still the government stay. Uh, The sooner we have an election and get what this listener feels is competent people to run the country, the better. At the moment, they only seem to be kicking a can down the road. And that's from an ex-Fina Fall supporter. And of course, we do know that there is a vote of... No confidence and confidence in the government today. But Micheál Martin, as you probably heard on the news, saying he is confident that the government will defeat the Sinn Féin no confidence motion. And But he has insisted there's no side deals being done to achieve the support the government he expects will get today. The Taoiseach blasted Sinn Féin for wanting an emergency budget last week. And then this week they're looking for a general election. He said the budget, which is now scheduled for the end of September, would be jeopardised if the country was plunged into a snap general election. Micheál Martin said the move to table the motion of no confidence was a cynical play by a party intent on disruptive politics. He said, the, he says, this is Micheál Martin, the Irish people do not want a general election right now. We're in the midst of a cost of living crisis. We have a war on the continent of Europe. He said, I'm confident but I don't take anything for granted. But he said the motion at one level, he feels cynical play by Sinn Féin. He's, but he says he is confident because he does believe the majority of TDs believe in getting things done and constructively dealing with challenges and problems and primarily dealing with the cost of living and ensuring that we have this budget at the end of September. Mayor Martin said he'd been engaging with his own TDs as well as some of the independent TDs who have supported the government but he said there's no side deals he's not making any promises certainly to any of the independent uh, TDs the Thonish Talia Varadkar said the motion was just another show motion it would achieve nothing by Sinn uh, Féin Simon Harris the higher education minister said, said Sinn Féin were entitled to table the motion but he added there was no risk to the government and of course the reason Sinn Féin are doing it was the government lost their technical majority last week in the uh, Dáil. One listener here says Morning Patricia, the three parties in government I feel are afraid of a general election. I wonder why says this uh, texter. Okay and just quickly some of your WhatsApps in. Heidi, morning Patricia, farmers are up in arms. The world is in crisis. There's an uprising in Sri Lanka. People that are starving, people there starving, no money, no food. I'm asking what is our government doing to help us in this country? Farmers here are not happy with what's going on. And then we still have higher prices on all our products. Fuel is still very high. We should have a government that's working for us. They seem to forget that when we put them into the doll and then they seem to work for themselves. There is a saying, you get what you deserve. I think we need to question them more from the time they knock on our door for our votes then and only then will they realise that we mean business. That's from Heidi. Michael, Patricia, yes, we're all concerned about the cost of food. But Michael says, I would like to know 
what is the cost of all the packaging that food comes in? The trays, the cartons, all the flashy presentation costs a lot of money, hence upping the price to the consumer of what you pay. And an example that Michael cites, a packet of biscuits costing over three euro with only a half a dozen biscuits. Surely the actual biscuits don't cost that much. It's all the packaging that is a rip off. Yeah, and all that flashy packaging, what do we do with it? We put it into the bin. Hopefully we put it into the recycling bin. But then there's a knock on effect for the environment as well. Maybe we need to go back to the old days where you went into the green grocer and you and things were handed out in, in paper bags, you know, simpler times, uh, certainly. But there's a lot of waste when it comes to a packaging. I think a lot of people will agree with you on that one uh, Michael and just on fuel Joan Kilmallock says fuel in his town in Kilmallock 2 euro for 30 2 euro and 13 cent for petrol and for diesel Joe feels that is very very expensive uh, indeed it does seem to be because certainly I've been keeping an eye on, on it and it's come down sort of below it's still over the two euro. I haven't seen it under two euro anywhere, but I did see it. I'm sure I was looking at it this morning and it was two euro six, two euro seven. I'll have to check it again, even though I saw one garage that I pass every day uh, where I normally get my petrol. Funnily enough, I saw them getting a delivery of petrol today. So let's see, will that price go up or down based on that delivery? 0818 jobs. Experienced construction worker is wanted for Blackpool in Cork. Your own transport would be an advantage. CVs please to tim at hamiltonfrench.com. Lucy's Good Food in Mallow. They've got a vacancy for a full-time deli assistant. Experience and a working knowledge of the HACCP would be an advantage. No students please as this is a full-time position. Email ianlucy2000 at gmail.com. Loader driver wanted. It's for loading and uploading plant machinery in Cork City and County. Call 086 8323 006. And a joiner cabinet maker and an apprentice joiner. All wanted at Mallow Joinery. Call 086 198 3056. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Cork Today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 0818 103 103. Now for many of us who were diagnosed with COVID-19 over the last two years, we thankfully made a full recovery. But unfortunately for some, life continues with the condition that's now known as long COVID. To talk to us about what that can be like, I'm joined by Cork McSherry farmer Harold Kingston, who's often spoken to us on the programme in his capacity with the IFA and of course, within the IFA, he is currently the Munster Regional uh, Chairman. Good morning to you, Harold. Morning, Patricia. Uh, you're welcome. And firstly, sorry to hear that you've been left with this, what sounds like a dreaded long COVID. So I suppose we need to start at the beginning. When did you get COVID and what were your symptoms like? Yeah, so I'm hoping it's medium COVID as opposed to long COVID. But anyway, uh, it, it's four weeks now. Um, so, yeah, like, look, it was it was the same as a lot of people with a, an extremely bad flu, you know, temperatures um, and, and not able to keep yourself warm, um, you know, loss of taste, um, different things that way. So it, it was fairly severe headaches and so on. Um, so I was, 
I was in bed for a few days and got moving again. And then uh, around day nine or so, I realized I just wasn't getting better. So I went to my GP and he sent me straight to CUH um, where, yeah, look, there were a lot of tests done and I was um, in the in the, in the the COVID ward for, for a few days, which is, uh, it's an experience I was hoping I wouldn't see, you know, he- heading through the doors with uh, restricted access written on them and so on. Um, but yeah, look, there was a there was a small clot that they found, which apparently is a regular enough thing. Um, I'm expecting that that's probably gone now at this stage. Um, but yeah, it's it just tiredness basically from for 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 the past twelve now. Yeah, and it was only four weeks ago. Yeah, four four weeks. So um, so that's why I'm saying I'm hoping it's medium term yeah. as opposed to long term. So you hadn't you had escaped COVID all right the way through. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know I was. Delighted, I said my vaccines are doing their job and yeah. the masks are doing their job and, and uh, I'm lucky that I'm out here on the end of the peninsula and so on. <laughs> you know, so, but you still uh, managed to pick it up somewhere, this this yeah, this current yeah. summer wave. And they do say highly contagious and they do say yeah. it seems to be mopping up the people who managed to escape it over the last seems two and be, a half yeah, years. No I, no, I do know that a few people have, have got second doses and so on um, yeah. recently as well. So yeah, there's a lot of people are getting it now at the moment, yeah. But yeah. ending up in the COVID ward, were there people very sick in there? Um, not the, the, the ward, I, well, the, the the particular room I was in, no, um, not not so much. Um, everybody else was there as, uh, at, at that stage as a result of something else that that they were in for something else and had COVID yeah. as well. Um, well, there was one person who, who had come in, all right, um, for COVID and they discovered something else which was far worse. And so he was actually delighted to have got COVID because... It wouldn't the, have been the, picked the, up. The te- yeah, the test, the test effectively has saved his life. But anyway, that's... that's but the, the clash they reckoned was because of COVID? The clash on your lung? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh no, look, I, I, um, yeah, perfectly healthy. Um, you know, I, I would, I would, you know, with the farm, I'd be fairly active, but I, I do a lot of walking and stuff. I would consider myself to be. You're fit. Reason- yeah, I'd be reasonably fit. Yeah, you know? yeah, um, yeah. I would be. So I, I wouldn't have considered myself no to be high risk or anything like that. Um, so yeah, it, it was, it was purely from it. Apparently, it's, it's a regular thing that happens from, from COVID, and people need to be aware of. And luckily, off my GP spotted straight away what it was. So. Well, well done to the GP. Exactly. And how are you now? So yeah, like I was, I was flying yesterday. I went, to, went around doing. I, I did a bit, bit of driving for a family member, and went to a couple, couple of meetings with politicians uh, for on behalf of IFA and so on to do with, with uh, climate targets. And I'm suffering this morning because of it. So. Um, <laughs> So yeah, yeah um, Barry Rawshaw took a lot of me there last last Saturday, even though I, I basically just did the paperwork side of it, didn't do any of the pulling and hauling. Um, so yeah, it, it's good days and bad days. Um, and nor and and your your pre COVID life that wouldn't have knocked a feather out of you. Oh no, no. Um, yeah, you'd be running a racing for you know yeah you like look you'd be tired but but you know um, that's fine <laughs> you know. Um, but yeah, no, no. It, this is this is this is definitely different. Um, and like, look, I I I, I know there is there's. there's I, I was lucky enough. I didn't get into ICU, which is fantastic. Um, you know, I I I'd say a lot of the talk to doctors, the doctors and the consultants and so on. You know, obviously one of the first questions is were you vaccinated uh, and so on. And um, they reckon you know that saves without, you. Ha- without having had it, then it might have been a different worse, story. You know. It would have yeah. been a different story. Yeah. Did you have yeah. a booster? Were you boosted? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So you yeah. you were you oh, were fully vaccinated. Yeah, and like, but and did like, yeah. Sure, we we we. 
actually IFA had a statement out there about two weeks ago. You know, the, it's it's surprising the number of people who are eligible for boosters who haven't taken them. Yeah. Um. And and you know we would be encouraging, especially with the with the demographic of, of age groups that's in, in a lot of farming. Unfortunately, uh, I'd be considered a young farmer. Um. You know, it 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 it's vitally important that anything that is offered you you take. Um. You know, we've had that conversation before about vaccines, um, and and yeah, it is vitally important that you that you get them. Well, you're the living evidence that the difference it could have been oh, without yeah. without without a vaccine. Did I see that you you're using a stick for walking just to give you a bit of support? Well, it, it's it's a case. Yeah, look, if, if if I'm going for you know heading for the cows now or something like that, so yeah, I'll take a, a stick because it, it it speeds you up a bit. Um, yeah, it, I, I can I can walk on it. There's no no difficulty that way. Um, but but no, it, it, it's nothing to do with balance or anything. That it's, it's more to do with speed. <laughs> Is it okay? I'm trying, okay. To, trying to keep up and, and get there, you know. So yeah, it it, uh, it, it helps. No, it's uh, what I use as a fencing post, so it can it can turn out handy this way if I'm short of fencing post in the field as well. Sometimes, you're very creative. You you really are. But when when you talk when 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 I've and I've spoken with other people who've uh, still suffering the effects of of COVID. When they talk about the tiredness, it's 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 an unnatural tiredness. It's, it, it, how how do you describe the tiredness? Well, well, for me, it's 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 a muscular thing more than anything else. I'd say at this stage now, with you know the legs will get tired, and I reckon it's how the chest gets tired with the breathing. Um, so I, I, you know, it's it's purely just that that you you run out of steam and 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 breathing gets difficulty then. Um, so yeah, it it it's it's that kind of a tiredness. Now there's a mental tiredness as well. Um, where realistically you focus on one item at a time rather than trying to multitask. Um, That's the brain fog that, yeah, again, they, yeah, they, they talk yeah, about. Yeah, are you, are you saying yeah. when, when you talk about the breathing, are you, do you at times have problems breathing if you're overdoing it? Well, yeah, that, that the chest will get hurt. What is, muscles, well, muscles in the chest, I'd say that's what it, what what I reckon is happening anyway. And again, you weren't asthmatic. You're not a smoker. No, you no, never smoked. No, look, I, I would have had an injury in the chest years back. All right, where um, yeah, there was there was well, there was a there was an assault years back, but then there was a coat decided to take me out as well there. Um, maybe maybe fifteen years ago there, but this was so so there was an old injury there in the chest. But this is this is different. Um, this is purely a muscular thing. How are you managing on the farm? Um, well, I know one of the one of the good things was that um, when when COVID started, one of the things IFA recommended, and I was telling everybody to do as well, was, was uh, put a plan B in place. Um, you need to know that there's there's somebody who can take over. So luckily enough, I have somebody that um, that comes in for a couple of hours every day, as it, as it is most, most days. So so he he knew the running of the place and so on. And my son was just finished his his fifth year, so he was at home. Um, and and you know I've I we we keep a there's a whiteboard in, at the end of the parlour so you keep up to date on that if there's anything to do with with um, any cows that are on antibiotics or or you know um, any anything particular that you want to watch for um, I I have uh, you know the grass supply is 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 measured and and on an app um, any remedies and and stock numbers and so on are all on an app as well which which both my son and the worker would have have access to uh, and you know 
kind of a, a work a working from home kind of version. It's possible to manage things if if somebody sends you a video or something or a picture or something, even from hospital. I was able to, to technology to, to manage, yeah. you know. So yeah, technology it's, it's, is great, you know, isn't it? Oh yeah, yeah, uh, that's, just... that's definitely. And, and like, look, it's it's about having information and, and access to information. I know it it was like back in the springtime. You know, when when everything was was still in, or during the winter, you know, when things were still indoors, or when when calves were inside being fed milk and so on, like you you could have you'd have specific lists of what everything was getting. It's a bit more hands on this time of the year with with managing grass and so on. Um, so it was a, li- a little bit more awkward trying to to, to manage once, once if you couldn't get out. But um, you know, yeah, you like simply having your farm uh having a picture of your farm whether it's google maps or or one of the other apps or whatever um and that you can you know have have a number on each paddock and you send send the picture to to whether it's contractor spreading fertilizer or whatever it is you send a picture with you know this uh, is what i want done 75 yeah. kilos in that product and this kind of thing you know you can, yeah. you, can you can manage things that way um which, okay, but you know, and you, yeah, you mentioned that you you were lucky enough that you had a, a farm a part-time farm worker who was a, mm-hmm. able to help out as with other industries, is it hard to find part-time our relief workers for farmers? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, look at it, it. Well, yeah. Like the thing is, it, it's probably easier to find a full-time worker than a part-time worker. Well, I'm lucky enough, and that's why I'm sharing somebody with someone else. So, so okay. that's working out. Um, you know, and, and that doesn't always happen in places. It, it happens to work for me. Um, and and the other farmer, so and and the person who's who's willing to to be shared as well, yeah. <laughs> you know. Um, so well it, it, you know, yeah, it, it, um, you can you can be lucky that way, and sometimes in terms of finding the right person and that. Um, but yeah, it, it it's difficult enough to find. Um, like sort of, I, I would have spoken to spoken to school students and spoken to different people um, in my IFA role over the years there and, and there's a lot of people interested in, in the food industry but not necessarily in the farming industry um, so yeah it can be difficult enough sometimes to to find people and especially the building trades is is, is more regular hours and, and so on um, so yeah like try, Farm try, try work is, is, is kind of a passion isn't it? It is really you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah. yeah you do need to you do need to love it yeah, yeah. I uh, saw, I saw somebody uh, quoted saying relief milkers are particularly hard to hard to get this year. Yeah, yeah, they would be. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, like that's that's one of the one of the key things is is you know, uh, a, a milking will take you know a, a number of hours, but that's you then have the rest of the day to to fill as well. And finding somebody who is who is available at that specific time can be difficult. Mm. Um, and and in some cases, you know, if if you're trying to fill a day that you're you're, you know, yeah, it, it it's 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 about scheduling that somebody is is capable of doing it. Now I know years back I I I would have used farm relief and so on. Um, I I I had good experiences and bad experiences with with people. It, you know, you need to have somebody who is who is interested in the job and willing to work. Uh, I would have had experiences at one stage actually of someone who wasn't willing to work in the morning because they they needed to be in work for, you know uh, for nine o'clock and they were, and they weren't willing to work in the morning they were willing to work in the evening all right and like that's not much use to you that didn't suit. If, if yeah you know so so yeah. you know if if somebody is 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 willing to work they will find work very quickly in 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 farming yeah um, but it's it's no the same it's the same in 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 every industry though every Pretty industry much. is scre- screaming out uh, for workers okay so the plan of campaign now is what just try and take it as easy as you can and slowly build yourself back up again pretty much yeah, yeah. It's, it's about plan yeah like everything needs to be 
um, planned and that I, I, I try to um, space out, you know, if, if I need to walk out to a field, I'll space out so that I do do, um, do one one run in the morning, one run in the evening or something, you know, that I won't God, That's just so not together. you. That is just so no, not no, you. No, yeah. And, are, are, no, I, I, and I know you, I mean, are you finding that hard, the, the, the fact that you're not able to do everything that you want well, to do? Well, well, it's incredibly annoying, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I should okay. look, Joe, they're, they're, look, the essentials are being done. Good. Um, but there's there's a lot of jobs that I'd plan to do which are just not, you know, they're just put, put back now so they won't. won't and they'll be done. be done one day. They'll be done they'll one be day. Done Don't one be worrying day, about yeah, it. Yeah, just yeah, yeah. learn to relax look, look, and look I, after I, I, yourself. Neighbours neighbors have offered help and, and relations have offered help. I'll be, I'll be, I'll be ringing one of them there now shortly for to, to, the second consignage to be coming in so somebody will need to cover the bit. I certainly won't be doing that. You know, so yeah. um, those kind of things will, will um, you know, you'll always find, find people to help boat yeah um but yeah like reg- regular regular workers and so on it, it, it's hard. all about having having your plan you need your plan b in place because um like all the covid supports and so on that were there are are, are gone now um all all the uh and, and even for for somebody working you know whether whether and anybody working on their own, whether whether that's a, a plumber or, or or a farmer, you can't just simply clock out. Um, you know, the, 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 it, it, somebody needs to to take over um, and, and see after things for you. So, um, well, yeah, listen, yeah, you need to have that in place. Look after yourself and get back fighting fish uh, as soon <laughs> as possible. And as always, a pleasure to talk to you, Harold. Thank you for that, and thanks for joining us. Good morning to you. That is uh, Harold Kingston, farmer based in Court McSherry, but he's also the IFA Munster Regional uh, Chairman, still recovering from the after effects of COVID. It, you know, it can be a nasty, nasty uh, disease. You really don't want to get it if you can avoid it at all. At all costs, uh, please do. But as Harold said, make sure you are vaccinated and your vaccinations are up to date. 0818 103 103. Bernie taking your calls. Text WhatsApp 0862 103 103. Record today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 086 Now, Cork couple Jamie Good and Sheena Murphy set up a GoFundMe page to raise the money needed to cover the medical expenses for their little son, Teddy, who underwent a life-saving liver transplant in Belgium last February. An incredible aspect of this story is that Teddy's dad, Jamie, donated 25% of his liver so that the transplant operation could go ahead to share the story. Mum, Sheila, uh, joins me. Good morning to you, Sheila. Good morning. Hi. And listen, thank you for joining me. And I suppose very first question, how is Teddy doing? He's doing really well. Yeah, there's been obviously a big change since the liver transplant. Um, his jaundice cleared. Um, he's finally putting on weight. Um, he's eating, which he didn't do before. Um, he's got loads of energy. He's happy. He's finally having a chance to grow and play and learn. Um, he's doing really well. So the transplant has been a success. Yeah, it's been a success so far. It's been great. And then for Dad Jamie, I don't know what it what happens to the body when you donate twenty five percent of your liver. How is he doing? Uh, he's okay. Um, his recovery was um, more than we were expecting. Um, I suppose we were concentrating on getting it done and Teddy's recovery, and you know there was a lot going on. Yeah. Um, but you know, uh, Jamie is doing okay. He, you know, it's been a long recovery for him, more so than we were expecting. But he'd do it again. He said, "No bother." I know. 
I know it's his it's his little boy at the end of the day yeah. he do it again oh, yeah. in, in a heartbeat um, now take me back when did you realise that Teddy had health issues um, while he was pregnant um, he was diagnosed with his heart condition um, hypoplastic left heart which is something we had never heard of so we were looking that up and obviously um, that was kind of devastating news that our baby was going to be sick um, he was our first child Um so we were prepared for that um, as much as we could be. Um, he was born up in Dublin so that he could be taken straight to Crumlin when he was born. Um, so that happened and unfortunately I was stuck in, in the other hospital for the first few days of, of um, Teddy's life. So my husband, Jamie, was, was with him in Crumlin. And the doctors there then um, became suspicious that he also had this other condition, um, biliary atresia, affecting his liver. Um, so uh, they had to do a liver biopsy to uh, confirm that diagnosis and it turned out it, it was true that um, he did have um, failure to as well. And the liver condition much more serious than the heart condition at that as stage? It, yeah, as it turned out, um, it was. Yeah, that was the life-threatening thing, uh, more so than the heart. Um, uh, hypoplastic left heart, I suppose, Teddy did have, I don't know if there's a normal hypoplastic left heart, but Teddy's heart is a bit different, and um, he didn't require surgery straight away as as, as many babies do. Mm-hmm. So at that time, um, his liver became a life-threatening thing. At that time, so you get presented with this, and do they do they straight away start talking about a liver transplant, or that that was the only option for Teddy? Um, no, well, the liver transplant is the only option for uh, children. Uh, well, they, we first of all, we tried um, a surgery that could be tried first of all, but it doesn't have the best success rate, um, but we tried it anyway. Um, we had to go to the UK for that. Uh, we went in January. Um, uh, it, that, that surgery is time sensitive. It should be done in the first six weeks of life, but due to COVID, um, it was delayed. Um, but we went anyway in the end, um, and he had the surgery over there. And we came home and it can take a while to see if that surgery has been a success. Um, so we waited, hopefully, um, but eventually it became apparent that it, it was not a success, unfortunately. And Teddy would need a liver transplant. Um, but because of his heart, um, it um, usually, I don't know, up until very recently, um, if a baby has a heart condition, they're not really considered um, for liver transplant. It's not an option. So that was all very worrying. Uh, you know, we didn't know if, if there was going to be an, an opportunity to save Teddy's life. So how did Belgium come into the equation? Well, um, first of all, the UK were contacted because um, Irish children and babies usually go to the UK for a liver transplant. OK. Um, but because of Teddy's heart, um, that was not an option and we had to look further afield. Um, luckily, his um, consultant... And got onto the hospital in Belgium, and they got back immediately and said, um, "Yes, they would assess Teddy, and Jamie is a possible donor." Um, so that was approaching Teddy's first birthday, and we didn't even, you know, when when Teddy was young, we didn't know if he'd still be around for his first birthday. So we were we planned the first birthday party for him because um, he hadn't met a lot of his a lot of friends and family and stuff due to lockdown. And we didn't know if he'd be here for his second birthday. So we were oh. in the middle of planning this uh, celebration when we got the good news that, that 
hospital in Belgium would assess him. So that was amazing. We had the party, <laughs> which is great. And then at five o'clock the next morning, uh, Jamie and Teddy went off to Belgium to be assessed. Um, so and then the wait to see if Jamie would be a match. Yeah, we weren't waiting too long, thankfully. We're great. Um, yeah. Um, so Jamie was a match and in good health, thankfully. And um, Teddy was assessed and the multidisciplinary team there said that, yes, we think, yes, we can do it, deliver transplant on this child. Um, and we were in shock and <laughs> delighted. <laughs> and, you know, it's still a bit fearful that, oh, is it going to really happen? Um, but they weren't going to do it there. And then um, so uh, Jamie and Teddy came home. And um, we had Christmas. We had another baby. And uh, then in February, uh, we all went back over and the transplant took place in Belgium. And it went well. There was no, his heart didn't give any any trouble at all, really, uh, with the surgery. And so far, it's been going well. As and then ho- ho- and then the aftercare is here at home, if there's, any, if there's to be any aftercare, is it? Um. Well, next month, they'll... Uh, Jamie and Teddy are both going for their six-month checkup okay. in Belgium, but um, Crumlin can take care of, of most of Great. the aftercare. But there's obviously a cost involved in going to Belgium. I mean, the first obvious one that jumped jumped to mind when I heard your story, uh, the cross, you know, the, what what we talk about the cross border, but the EU scheme whereby you can go to another country. Did did that kick in for you at all? Um, we had the treatment abroad scheme, which we had used. We used that originally in January when we went to the UK. Yeah. And Teddy has his um, surgery there. And um, that uh, covered the cost of that entirely, of everything that happened there. Um, um, because of, uh, I don't know, whatever the way the NHS is and the HSC. And yeah, they have the arrangement in place at the county, yeah. the operation here, do it in another country, and everything is covered under, under the treatment abroad. But what about um, Belgium? Yeah, it, it, well, it's not necessarily everything is covered in every country. It's different. It depends on the country that you're going to. Okay. Um, so you're treated like a citizen of the country that you're going to. Yeah. Um, and in Belgium, the the Belgians have to pay a percentage of their ah. Their, um, okay. All right. So that's that's where your costs uh, kick in. Hence yeah. the reason that you set up a, a GoFundMe. Was that a difficult thing, Sheila, as a family to have to say, look, we need to go public and we need to set up a GoFundMe page. It was yes, because um, it doesn't feel good asking asking for money, um, and also we've been pretty quiet about everything. You know, not wanting to go public about everything so far. Not that I suppose all along because we didn't know if it was going to have a happy ending. I know we didn't know, know. what was going to happen with Teddy, so we were keeping it quite private. Um, but it is having a happy ending. Uh, it is. It is. Yeah. And I think it's only when you do, and, and, I, and I've spoken with many families in the past who've said, you know, oh, we soul searched about doing this. But it's only yeah. when you do it and you see the generosity of people, particularly I think the generosity of strangers. And, you yeah. know, people think, you know, they're but for the grace of God, go I. Any of us could have a child in the same situation and you would like to think that there'd be decent people there to reach out and help, you know. And, and there's lots of people helping you. Yeah, we've been blown away. We okay. were not expecting this uh, reaction at all. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Because we, we, I suppose we kind of did it in the end. We did it last minute. It had been suggested to us to do it before and we resisted. We said, no, we'll, we'll try and do, do it ourselves. But in the end, you know, the bills have to be paid. 
for Teddy, for, for Teddy in future and for future Irish children. You know, we don't want to be giving Ireland the reputation of not paying the bills or anything. Um, so the bills need to be paid. We're yeah. not in a position to pay them ourselves. Absolutely, um, absolutely. So and, you know, you have, you have to live as well. And, and you have another you have baby, baby number yeah. two, who you've called Jamie, I believe. Your yeah, daughter. she's a girl. Uh, yeah, she's I girl, love yeah. I love Jamie for a girl. I thought it was always yeah. I made me smile when when I saw that. So the target is uh, sixty thousand is what you yeah. uh, need uh, to raise. You only started this last week, wasn't it? Did I see that? It was only yeah, start third th- of July, yeah. and you're up to over forty two thousand this morning. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's brilliant. It's amazing. It yeah. is brilliant. Medical bills for Teddy's liver transplant. That's where you find it on the yeah. GoFundMe uh, page. They're obviously. J- Jamie or, or Teddy will eventually need a heart operation at some stage then will he as well Sheila? he will yeah. he will and he'll be going back to Belgium for the heart we're, operation as okay. well um, hope, we're hoping it won't be for another year or two let okay. it some time to recover fully from the, the liver transplant and when is his second birthday uh, November November there'll be a big party for that yeah. I imagine <laughs> <laughs> you thought the first one was big this is going to be a huge one listen we wish you uh, nothing but love and luck to all of the family and I feel you sure much. you'll have no problem raising that money medical bills for Teddy's liver transplant if anybody wants to donate on the GoFundMe uh, page uh, Sheila please stay in contact and let us know uh, how Teddy yep. and, and Jamie get on but thank you okay, for taking you. time out to talk to us I really appreciate it Good morning to you. Bye bye. That is uh, Sheila Murphy, who is uh, the mammy of little Teddy. The the rising cost of living. People are really struggling. And yesterday there was a protest held uh, in Cork and it was timed to uh, tie in with the the protesters wanting a protest before the government broke up for their summer recess with people talking about back to school uh, costs and a lot of people really fearing the winter. So we sent our news reporter, uh, Mairead Tuig, down to the protest yesterday just to talk to some of the people. Just wanted to find out what why they were turning out to protest and what were they most worried about. Jim, I'm at the protest because I believe the whole country is completely broken, you know. Education, especially for special needs children. I'm listening to a crisis for the past 50 years and it hasn't changed people can't afford housing the whole country is broke and nobody is taking it seriously in government circles energy prices especially i think the energy companies would want they'd want to be a levy put on them because it's it's outrageous what they're doing we've had how many energy rises now between all the energy companies it's like a cartel i remember when i prices with barrel of oil was dearer than it is now two years ago and yet we're paying ridiculous prices at the moment so there's questions to be answered people are suffering everybody and uh, it, it's just not acceptable jonathan and everyone's going to feel the pinch like everyone's going to feel the pinch because we've all got bills like i'm actually rang i rang the energy company this morning and i told them that i'm going to turn off the gas I can get by without the gas leak, you know. My name is Rosaline. The price of everything has gone up and for the winter, I might get my gas supply cut off. I'll have to get used to it. You know, woolly jumpers and warm clothes. I'm seriously considering that. My name's Sinead. Um, I'm actually a part of the UCC Students' Union. Um, I'm the Communications and Engagement Officer. So obviously, you know, we've been involved in the you know, cost of living and the crisis that we're currently in, um, and mainly here representing student needs. Um, we've seen that, you know, students have the highest fees in the EU, 
Um, rent is skyrocketing. Uh, we are seeing student accommodation complexes being built for profit and not for purpose. Um, and students are struggling. You know, we saw it this year in UCC. Um, we in the UC Students Union uh, set up the food bank um, and it ran out. Like that is the reality of the situation, you know, and like we have to be here, we have to be present um, to keep pushing. And it's a problem that is happening and is real. I think the message is there. I think we just have to keep pushing it. Um, I think we need to have our clear points why we're out here. You know, obviously, you know, I'm here today representing students because I'm a part of the Students' Union. But, you know, this is something that affects everyone. It's affecting communities. It's affecting livelihoods. You know, it's, it's a real issue. It's affecting the everyday person, you know. The reality is every year the Students' Union see a struggle with accommodation. We're going to see it now in the next couple of weeks. You know, the accommodation isn't there. It's not affordable. It's not for purpose. And the reality is, you know, universities, we all want students back on campus. You know, being a student um, is, you know, they, it's, it's about being on campus, being present. But at the end of the day, like, students can't afford it. Parents, families can't afford it. And, like, the reality is, like, we're going to see it again. There's going to be a huge issue about accommodation because these student complexes are charging ridiculous amounts, you know? And when we talk about the living wage, are students getting paid the living wage? I'm Mike. It's plainly the case now that we're entering into a very long phase of inflation. I mean, the, you know, you look at the papers, you listen to the politicians, they're talking two or three years, what the heads of the European Central Bank and so on are saying. And what we're being told by every authority, uh, you know, inverted commas authority, is that it's irresponsible for us to be seeking wage increases. Now, what that effectively means is if inflation is about 10%, they're saying you're going to have to be accepting about a 10% cut in your wages in real terms every year this is going on. People simply can't afford that. I mean, profits are through the roof. Come November, December, January, we're going to be facing into a real crisis. And what will be happening is the government is going to do what it's been doing all the way along, which is telling us we're not going to give you wage increases, but we'll occasionally now and again throw 100 euro here and 100 euro there. OK, that is just some of the people who were protesting yesterday in uh, Cork City. And thanks to our news reporter, Mairead uh, Tuig, for having a chat with some of uh, the people. And Carol, who was also at that protest, said makes the point that we saw during COVID how the government were able to find €350 Euro per week for people who were working and not able to work because of uh, COVID to cushion the blow against COVID. She's making the point that this is the same type of emerg- emergency. It's a monitor emergency, it's a social emergency and that the government needs to be doing more. 0818 103 103 and here's a lovely analogy that's come in from a listener to say Hi Patricia, I know that this might sound a bit idealistic but I think everything in life is like a knitted blanket We should all take up the wool that we have been given and knit our own little square keep it brightly coloured and well darned And only then, when we have got our own square finished, should we help those who haven't got much wool and stitch their square to ours. It's no good trying to join all the half-knitted or damaged squares together. People need to keep their own patch tidy and then they're aware of any repairs they need to do and need to be made so that when the cold time comes, we can all keep warm together under the one blanket. I believe you could apply this scenario to everything in uh, life. God, you're a great thinker. I loved that. Thank you for that to texting 0862 103 103. Gorgeous, delightful pictures in the papers today of Kylie Minogue and Jason Donovan. If you were once a fan of Neighbours, and maybe you still have stuck with Neighbours, it first started sometime in the 80s. You will know that two of the big early stars 
Powers of Neighbours was of course Kylie Minogue and Jason Donovan and probably the two names that have gone on to forge the biggest careers having starred in the Aussie uh, soap and they have come back to the set of Neighbours because they're being filmed for the finale which is going to happen in the coming weeks because Neighbours after 37 years this Australian soap opera is finally coming to an end. Now both Jason Donovan and Kylie Minogue uh, played Scott and Charlene. They, Jason Donovan left in 1989 and Kylie Minogue had left the previous year in 1988. But it was their wedding episode. At the time it was watched by more than 2 million Australian viewers. That was back in 1987 and the, all records were broken for the number of people that sat down to watch uh, Kylie and Jason uh, get married. But of course then when it went worldwide to a, wor- to a world what well, was in the UK was when it got shown 20 million million people sat down to watch the wedding of Scott and uh, and uh, Charlene. So they've come back to be a part of the last episode of Neighbours. And by the way, the finale will air in Australia on Thursday, the 28th of July. And then we get to see it here in Ireland on the 3rd of uh, August. And I think there will be a little bit of nostalgia for people who perhaps one, once upon a time back in the 80s did watch Neighbours, particularly when Kylie Minogue and Jason Donovan were stars. I think for fans like that, they'll certainly sit down and watch the final episode, as I say, to air on the 3rd of August. But there's just gorgeous photographs in all of the papers of them kind of goofing around. And you can see uh, Jason or Kylie Minogue is uh, wearing a denim uh, kind of overalls because remember she was a mechanic wasn't she when she was uh, Charlene and and he's dressed in in denims with a a check shirt on him but they look like they had a great bit of fun filming those final scenes 08 do you ever do the lottery at the bookies now I know a lot of people I have to hand and heart say I've never done the lottery at the bookies but I know a lot of people do and I know a lot of people claim they win more and reckon the odds are better by betting on the lottery but you do it through the bookies not through an official national lottery agent. Well if you are one of those people then your days might be numbered because bookies will be banned from taking bets on the outcome of the national lottery and this is all down to a new bill which is going to be discussed in the Senate today. Now the bill shall I say, if passed, will amend the National Lottery Act of 2013, which will prohibit lottery betting by anyone except the National Lottery. The bill is largely aimed at stopping online bookmakers from taking side bets on which numbers will be picked in lottery draws, but it will also stop people walking into their local bookies and saying, I'd like to pick two numbers out of Saturday night's lottery. Bookmakers who have no connection with the National Lottery and none of their profits go to the lottery are to the charities that it supports. And that's one of the reasons that they think it's unfair and the bookies shouldn't be allowed to take these bets. A Red Sea research for the National Lottery indicates that lottery betting could be generating as much as 570 million euro a year, mainly from on for the online bookmakers. So it's not the ones mainly that are on the high streets. They seem to make a lot of money online. But 570 million euro. There's going to be a lot of bookies very upset about this. Now, it does seem that most other EU countries have banned the practice of lottery betting. So we won't be the first to do it. If anything, we're going to be one of the last uh, because I saw Ned O'Hara, who is the General Secretary of the Irish Postmasters Unions. We regularly speak 
speak with uh, Ned. He says Ireland is lagging way behind other EU countries uh, in banning side betting by bookies and that we should have done it years ago. The bill obviously is strongly backed by the Charities Institute of Ireland. They, they're the group that represent charities because charities make a lot of money out of the National Lottery whereas charities are not making any money out of that 570 million a year, euro a year that's been made by the uh, bookies. And in addition to supporting good causes the rationale for preventing player harm is clear. The National Lottery is heavily regulated by the player protection measures. So that's another reason that uh, the people want this bill to go through. The bill has the strong support also of the grocery shop representative group RG Data. But then I hear you say they would, wouldn't they? Because our RG Data and the, the grocery shops, lots of people, that's where they do their lottery is inside in their local grocery shop. And obviously they they make uh, some money every time somebody goes in to buy a lottery ticket. So we'll follow that with great interest. But it's before the Senate. It starts its passage now through the government. But it's it's under the scrutiny of the Senate uh, today. So I'm interested in your thoughts, as I say. We have to wait for it at the moment. If you want to go into your local bookies or if you want to do it online, you can bet on the National Lottery. But if this bill goes ahead and it is expected to get uh, passed then it will prohibit you will no longer be allowed to bet on the lottery in the bookies. Your thoughts welcomed on that 0818 103 103. You can text or WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council delivering roads and housing, community and business supports all across the county. See corkcoco.ie. If you are a bingo fan, bingo's on in Shambally Moor Community Hall tonight at 8 o'clock. It's every Tuesday night. The jackpot this week is €2,300 and everybody very welcome. Avenue Blackwater Partnership, they'll hold an information session entitled Everything You Wanted to Know About LGBTQI+, but we're afraid to ask. It's in Fomoy Youth Centre tomorrow Wednesday 13th of July tomorrow morning from 11am to 12 noon now refreshments will be provided and they will also have information leaflets that you can take away with you. The Krishnalanov annual commemoration takes place on Friday, uh, Friday night. The oration will be by Thomas McCorrick from the Cork Fenian Society. Music and refreshments afterwards in O'Donovan's Bar in Ballinadee and all are very welcome. And there will be a fun dog show at Lahering Cross in Lombardstown next Sunday, 17th of July, 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Now, entries will be taken from half 12 until 2. Entry fee is €3 Euro per class and there will also be prizes for all children in the children's class. Record today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 0818 103 103. And just on the lottery and this bill before that's coming for the Senate, which would ban anybody taking a bet on the lottery at your local bookies. Michael in Cork City contacted the programme. He says he spends on average about €20 a week on the lottery between the shops and the bookies. He says if they stop allowing the bookies to take bets on the lottery, then he will simply stop playing the lottery uh, completely. He got five numbers once in the lottery and he got €1,300, whereas he won 1100 in the bookies once. He reckons that the bookies are better value. Well, if you stopped the 20 euro uh, a week, 
you'd be safe and put the 20 euro uh, away you'd have a nice win at the end of every year as well Michael anyway we'll wait and see what happens as I say the bill is only it's going to the Senate first and uh, we're we're a bit away from it being enacted if it does uh, pass now on the key cutting remember the gentleman who contacted us this morning Bright and uh, early Michael in West Cork lost a key of a door in his house you know one of the, the Basta keys that locks an in, an internal a door and he's looking for a key and what I what I can gather the door is locked and he can't get in he's tried every other basta key in the house but he doesn't know the number of the basta key in order to go and buy a new one and he was he was asking us if we knew of anyone that could pick a, a lock I was I was laughing to Bernie saying what are we looking for a kind of a friendly burglar who'd be able to I don't even know how you go about picking a, picking a, a, a lock anyway a number of people were on to say that most key cutters have a master bunch of keys one just says normally what happens is you go into the key cutter tell them to let Michael tell his story they'll give him the master bunch of keys and you obviously have to pay you know maybe a 20 euro deposit to make sure that you bring back the master bunch of keys then you go home with your master bunch of keys which has got every one of the Basta locks on it and you put go through it one by one by one until eventually the door will pop open then you make a note of the number that's on the Basta key and then Michael can pop back into the key cutter and buy his the, the number on the, the pasta lock and um Bastalock and Mary in uh, Lissavard says that they sell those Bastalocks in Atkins in Clonakilty and in Drina Co-op uh, so they should have one of the master bunch of keys as well the fact that they sell the locks so there's some places that you could uh, try so thank you to a lot of people that were on with suggestions to try to help Michael out because as I say his door is now permanently closed and he needs to get uh, back in Hi Patricia I think it's pure greed by the National Lottery there are better odds in the bookie uh, the lottery won't increase their prizes even if this legislation is uh, changed that's yeah well if there would be more if more people spent money on the lottery then more money would go in in prizes that's the other side uh, to it because the way the prizes are set is based on how much is played every week and that annoying ad at the moment where 90% of the money uh, goes back out it goes back out between you know the payouts to people and, and charities etc it's only the, the people that run the lottery they make 10% of the profit but over uh, less than 10% 90% of it does go back out uh, some way so I suppose the more people spend within the national lottery the, the more prizes will uh, trickle down and John, this is on COVID. This is following on from my chat with uh, with um, Harold Kingston talking about the effects he's still suffering from uh, COVID. John feels that with the current wave that we are experiencing at the moment, this summer wave, people should be avoiding meeting others in the present wave of COVID. We should be back to meeting people online or over the phone. You never know what you could be harbouring in your system, says uh, John. And I know that the number of patients in hospital with COVID exceeded a thousand yesterday. And that's for the first time since April. So that is a bit of a worry. And this new wave, I mean, it's right across Europe. It isn't just here in Ireland, even though the experts are expecting that it should peak this week and it should start to fall away. And the numbers should should slowly start to fall away. It's the BA, the Omicron BA5 is the one that's causing all of the problems now. Uh, they reckon it is more contagious but uh, and 90% of the cases are down to this BA5. But of course, we know the good news is because of people being vaccinated, 
vaccinated, people aren't getting as sick. That's not to say that you won't get sick. As poor Harold was living proof of that, he was fully vaccinated and he was one of the unlucky ones. But the majority of people won't end up um, needing to be hospitalised or won't end up very sick. But that's as long as your vaccinations are up to date. And somebody was asking about the over 60s being vaccinated. And did they hear something about that yesterday? You did, because this came from the ECDC, the European Centre for Disease Prevention and Control. They came out and said that people over the age of 60 should be given a, a second booster. But they're saying at this stage, no clear evidence to support giving everyone a second booster. That is everybody below the age of uh, 60. We know at the moment it's people aged over the, it's over 65 and people who are immune compromised. But now the ECDC are recommending that people over 60 now should get the second booster. So what now happens is that the National Immunisation Advisory Committee, NIAC, in this country, they are the ones that advise the government. So what they're now doing, following what the ECDC announced yesterday, they're considering giving consideration to extending the second uh, booster to those under 65 and in particular go with the ECDC and that would be between just 60 and uh, 65. But they could come back. They don't have to go with what the ECDC says. They could come back and recommend that everybody under the age of 65 gets a, a booster. So yes, it was spoken about yesterday, but no, it doesn't mean if you are um, 60 that you can go and get a booster you're not entitled to one yet it is only the uh, recommendation 0818 103 103 fantastic news by the way for the good people of Mitchellstown in that the FCA Hall in Mitchellstown is among one I think it's 40 derelict and vacant properties across Ireland have been selected this week. They're going to be repurposed as community hubs. This is under a new government scheme. Now, we mentioned it a number of weeks ago when it was first mentioned by the Rural and Community Development Minister, Heather Humphreys. Uh, she announced a number of weeks ago an allocation of £7.5 million in funding and it's to redevelop derelict and vacant properties in rural Ireland and to turn them in some kind of community uh, hubs. It's funding under the Town and Village Renewal Scheme and it'll see things like former banks, former Garda stations, maybe there's an old courthouse uh, in the town. It'll see them being turned into public ownership and then converted for community use. The scheme obviously is designed to tackle what has been the scourge of dereliction in rural towns and uh, villages and at the same time deliver these wonderful new facilities which will benefit everybody in the community. Now what happened was local authorities had been tasked and they've been working with the department following engagement with local community to identify suitable properties to turn into community hubs or enterprise hubs or might be remote working facilities or indeed they could turn it into a youth centre. Now so far 36 properties have been identified but up to 7.5 million uh, will be spent. Heather Humphreys said that the buildings will become an important asset to the community and the initiative goes to the heart of what our rural future she says is all about which is regenerating towns and villages and making them better places to live, work and raise a family. And each local authority was asked to identify a property and if my memory serves me right when I when we spoke about this before 
each local authority I think will be given uh, up to 400,000 to spend on the property that they identify they could split it between two properties if they wanted to as well so from what I could gather it looks like it's the FCA Hall in Mitchellstown is, is, which is what Cork County Council has identified and it seems to be the only one mentioned so that would mean the whole 400,000 will go into it what they plan to do with the FCA Hall in Mitchellstown I don't know yet but we'll get working on trying to find out but certainly it really is a good good news story for the people of Mitchellstown 0818 103 103 you can text or WhatsApp to 0862 
And it's good to feel that there are people in our world who actually really care for us and, um, you know, who, who, who will be helpful wherever they can and certainly won't um, be, uh, won't do us any harm at all. Um, yeah. yeah, and no, then it's, it's good to share. Yeah, and it's accepting, you know, what we can control and and what we can't. I'm a big fan of if I get to a kind of a, uh, a stressful time where I've got a lot of things uh, to do. I'm a big fan of a list. If you, yeah. if you write things down, because the big fear factor is, oh God, I'm going to forget that, and then if you do forget it, you're kicking yourself. Whereas yeah. uh, lists, I think lists are great to do lists. Well, they are, and there was a big study done in Harvard um, University in the U.S. uh, some years ago, and apparently um, those who actually wrote down their goals, the success rate was phenomenal compared with those who just said, yeah, yeah, that's something I want to do, to actually write it down. and as you say, I mean, one of the most important things about writing it down is I'm not likely to forget it. Yeah. Because um, it can be very annoying to think, oh, God, I meant to do that on Monday, and here we are on Wednesday or Thursday, and it, it didn't enter my head. It's like the good old shopping list that my dear mother used to religiously do yeah. every week, and because of that, you never forget an item. How many of us come home kicking ourselves? You went out to get the one thing, and you you come back without it. Whereas if you have a list in front of you, you're not going to forget it. Hundred uh, percent. Yeah, absolutely. She she had it. She had it right. She had it. She had it nailed. And she, you, uh, and you want to quote Sh- Shakespearean a bit of Shakespeare? Yeah, that like. Um, uh, in one of the plays, um, I'm not sure if it was Hamlet or King Lear, um, but it was, nothing is good and nothing is bad, but thinking makes it so. Which, to my way of kind of thinking, for me would mean um, that it's not so much what happens as our reaction to what happens. Um, in other words, like that we can go back to the is this something I can do something about? If so, well, do it. And if it's something that I have no control over, well then, try to accept that it's a fact and that I will cope with it as best I can. But um, it was uh, Hamlet, we by the way. a little bit back there about ruminating and worrying and, um, you know, that doesn't help. Yeah, no, there's no, nothing either good or bad, but nothing makes it so. It's a quote from Hamlet. Yeah. There you go. There you go. Well done. OK, so, yeah, so it's just and that's where the mind and the, it takes over and uh, you can overthink something. You can. And we need to remember the thoughts are not facts. And, um, you know, we, we need to say the odd time to ourselves, look, is there evidence now for this? Yeah. Is this a certainty? Because, um uh, we can we can get into what we'll call catastrophic thinking. That it won't be just bad; it will be terrible. It will be um, impossible to cope with. But when we look back on our lives, you know, we coped okay with things that that were challenging. Um, I'm sure that you, me, and anyone listening um, would would say, yeah, there was times that I would have thought. I wouldn't get through that. But I did. And you and, um, survived and, and came out the other side. we had then, it won't suddenly desert us now. You know, to be able to say, um, I will be okay. 
I, now, in I, the in the right in the right place, of course, this listener says, leaving off a string of expletives, a string of curses, shouting it into the wind. Can that help with stress? <laughs> well, it, I don't think it's too bad. No, um, <laughs> I mean, I remember doing it one time on the top of Ned. I genuinely mean this. I mean, I would have been I would have been whipped away if anyone was passing. Um, uh, I mean, especially if they had white coats in them, <laughs> and. Um, I I was just going through a very, very, very um, traumatic time and um, I stopped the car on the top of Ned. I got out of the car and, um, yeah, I, I, I shouted my, my whatever you'd call it, frustration into the wind and it didn't do anyone any harm. Yeah, yeah. And it kind of relieved uh, some of the pressure that I was feeling. Yeah. 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 Okay. So, um so we need to sh- we need to share and listen and listen to trusted friends. Okay. We need to avoid perfectionism. Now, yeah. this this is one that a lot of us are guilty of. Absolutely. We're so hard on ourselves. Yeah. That we need to be able to say, look, I did my best. Um I might have made a hames of something or other. We all do now and again. But I did my best. I didn't set out to to make a hames of it. I didn't set out to harm anyone. I didn't... Um, I meant well. Um, but, um, uh, OK, so maybe... Sure, of course, some things won't go great. And that's OK, and, um, too. Hmm? And that's OK, too. We can that's fail, sure. yeah. Dandy, OK, too. I did my best. Provided now that we can genuinely look in the mirror and say, yeah, you did your best. Um, now, if we're careless and, um, uh, and uh, you know, we're, we're not, uh, not doing the ordinary things, not doing our job well, we'll say, well, then, um, you know, when you look in the mirror, you're not going to feel very comfortable saying, I did my best, when a little voice is saying, well, actually, you didn't. Um, mm. So we need to do our best but not to be perfectionist, not to be like, it has to all work out exactly like I wanted, or, oh my God, it's a catastrophe. It's not, once we did our best, you know. And as Gloria sang, one day at a time. One day at a time. And to remember that, I mean, sometimes we will fail. Um, uh, was, was it Beckett um, that said in one of the books, um, Fail again, fail better. Mm. Um, so we can fail better. We can, like, um, uh, it's back to, like, I did my best, and we will fail. But the big thing about a failure is to learn from it and to let it go. Because if we keep making the same mistakes over and over and over, we're not learning anything at all. Um, you know, it could be that sometime somebody uh, let off and pressed send on an email and then taught afterwards. Oh, I know the regret of that. Dun, 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 dun. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So and and that's and that's why you know realize that you're not always right. Absolutely, absolutely. A person who is always right would be an awful person to be trying to live with, wouldn't it? Yeah. Um. You know, sure. Of course, we can get things wrong, and we're only all as good as our best on any given day. Um. You know. Uh. Yeah, we're we're not going to get it right all the time, and we need to realise that there are things that we just don't know. That um, you know, there's always someone who has maybe an answer for a thing, only to have the um 
the common sense to ask him. Um, you know, I, I, I never, ever... Now, I know people... If I ask for directions, I remember one time in London and there was a girl passing, pushing a bicycle on the footpath, and I said, where's such a thing? And she went pop, pop on her phone. She said, turn back, first left, and it's on the right. And I thought, oh, my God, right. Um, I wouldn't be up to that at all kind of thing. But I wouldn't be too shy or to ask mm. and, and to say, I don't, I'm lost. I don't know yeah. where I'm going. Can you help? Yeah, yeah. I because I think I, I know that you'll often hear couples talk about that. If I mean, if I was driving somewhere now, I think with with GPS and, and sat nav yeah. and all of that, we don't get lost anymore. But once upon a time when we didn't have GPS, uh, I'd always stop and ask for directions, whereas hobby wouldn't dare ask directions. We'll yeah. find it eventually. Men seem to find it more difficult to ask for directions than women, whereas women will just stop, not not. not not a bother just okay so and i don't know how many people come in here now would say george just give me the air cord yeah that's the new one yeah that's that's, that's the new one yeah. okay and so I'm so and be actively involved with with people be it your hobbies just live our lives to be living our lives yeah and it needn't be major stuff um um you know it can be just maybe i need to make a bit of lunch a bit of healthy lunch um uh, I need to pull a few of those weeds that are growing in the garden this afternoon, or that place there could do with a small rubber paint. Uh, anything like that. But um, to stay in touch with our jobs, especially, um, you know that um, uh, we need to do our jobs as best we can do them, um, and it's a privilege um, to have a job mm-hmm. and to be, you know, to be doing it. It's a blessing. Um, uh, we need to stay in touch with people. Um, uh, you know, uh, people that we that we like to send a couple of texts over and back, that we like to phone, that we like to meet, and to stay in touch with um, with with a hobby, our hobbies, just to have an interest, to have something that actually. Uh, that when you're about to do it, that it makes you feel, um, you know, that it's something you like to do. Well said, well um, said. And it will all relieve the stresses that we're all under. OK, listen, we'll yeah. let you get back to the grandchild. Uh, enjoy <laughs> having Dylan. And uh, listen, thanks yeah. a million and we'll talk to you next Tuesday. OK. Thanks for joining us. That is uh, Joe right. Heffernan, who runs counselling practice in Bohorbury. His number is 086-834-8145. And by the way, there was a text in, remember yesterday I mentioned that uh, Griffin's Bar in uh, Scanakilla, that they have started this lovely, I think it's lovely on a Monday afternoon for, oh, it's like a talent competition for older people, for seniors. And um, we were advertising it yesterday on our community. community. It's not not for profit uh, event at uh, Griffin's Bar in Scanakilla. And anyway, somebody was on to say, Patricia, I heard about the seniors day in Griffin's uh, Bar. Uh, a few of my friends were interested in going until we heard that it was cashless. We don't have cards. Uh, we'd love to be able to go along, but we don't deal in we only deal with uh, cash uh, could you find out as we're raring to go so we got on to uh, Griffin's Bar to say they are cashless but that's during the week but on Mondays they do take cash because they realise that it is a seniors day and not every senior some seniors deal with cards but not every senior does and, they, and they've gone cashless by the way for security reasons which is understandable uh, but certainly if somebody only has cash you won't be turned away but for the seniors it isn't uh, cashless on seniors day so glad to clarify that thank you 0818103103 that's what I leave you for today my thanks to Bernie Murphy for producing Nick Richards with you for the afternoon and we're back with you for Wednesday's edition of the programme tomorrow at 10 on to the line Patricia Messenger very good afternoon 
Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.